Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. In today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Simon Dutton. Simon is a health and fitness coach who's helped hundreds of people transform their bodies and lives over the course of the past decade. He's now more specifically focusing on males and helping them become confident on the inside and the outside. Simon and I worked together a few years back and his knowledge and attention to detail really always stood out to me. It's something that influenced the way I coach moving forward and with all the learning and experience he's had over the past decade, if not longer, he has a lot to offer in this space. This conversation goes down many different routes. And some of the things we go through include how the new James Bond movie could be impacting men's mental health today, the four keys to executing the perfect body transformation, and a discussion on transgender athletes competing at the highest level. As you can tell, it was full of some diverse topics. So stay with us for the ride and let myself and Simon know what you think when you've had a listen. So without further ado, Simon Dutton. Simon Dutton, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm very, very well, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been there. Looking forward to this, really am. Uh, It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to coming on your show soon as well, which we'll touch on at the end and make sure we send some of the listeners on here over to you. So for those who have not come across you before... We think of each other by the end of of this next couple of days, right? After doing back-to-back... I was going to say, I'm glad that we didn't do them on the same day as it might be... uh, Actually, I think we've both got it in us to have conversations for that long, to be honest. So for those who haven't come across you before or any of your work, can you give a bit of a brief history of who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, okay. So um, I never had around to this every time I come on a podcast. As you said, my name's Simon. I've been in the fitness industry now about oh, probably getting close to 11 years. It's so weird now mentoring trainers that are like almost half my age. I'm just like, what? I thought I was the young kid. I still feel like the young kid. So um, formerly working, started working in Birmingham, moving into London, working for a global personal training brand where I rose to head of education for initially London and then got the opportunity, fantastic opportunity to move over to Hong Kong, which now I run the education for a company here called Hit Personal Training. Um, I also spent a bit of time working with gyms in Singapore, working with their trainers. And essentially what I'm known for really is one, getting, say, beginners to intermediates in great shape, both 
physically, mentally, and in the gym, and with a, a big attention to detail. I'm a nerd. And then the nerd side just continues over to helping trainers, which is, is generally my, my real passion, is sort of helping coaches develop their skills and become better trainers. So I set up uh, Made Coaching, which is essentially my business six, seven months ago, uh, with the aim, initial aim is to help guys in particular, improve their confidence inside and outside the gym. I decided to niche more down towards dudes after watching the latest James Bond movie, believe it or not. I left that film, and I won't give spoilers per se, but I left that film so <laughs> angry and felt that I can see the way the world's going with male mental health over the next five, 10 years. I want to be the guy that does something about that. And then the next step of this business will then be branching that out to coaches as well. Oh, that's very interesting. I've got a couple of questions based off that, but without revealing too many spoilers, what do you mean by the James Bond movie? I've, I'm not someone who watches too many of them, but I'm intrigued to see what you came away from it feeling like. How do I How do I do this without spoilers? It's really difficult. Well, actually, let's say this. If you don't want to spoilers, then stop listening for a 30 seconds, skip ahead so Simon can give it me because I don't care if, <laughs> if he spoils the film. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So like, I think I'd like to see anyone that's interested in James Bond and wants to see it would have seen it by now right it's a bigger box office sure. here right if you want to hear my unfiltered thoughts on my podcast i did an episode with my mate rob called the bond debate where we discussed what we liked or not on paper it's a very good movie it's a very well put together movie but i think it really i'm a huge james bond fan and i'm probably a little bit too emotionally driven by the james bond franchise it's so much a part of my childhood growing up that i did like some of the creative decisions they went through and to spoil last spoiler warning now it summed up 2021 in the fact that if there's one thing you don't do, if there's one thing you don't do, you don't piss in the wind, you don't tug on Superman's cape, and you don't kill off James Bond. And to ruin 60 years worth of history for the sake of, and I don't know where they're going to go with the franchise, to really push themselves into a corner, for the sake of basically opening up themselves to a, a Bond of colour for the sake of it, or a female protagonist. I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't have black leading actors or female leading actors like but i think it's more sexist and more racist to go ah you can't draw your own money have our franchise we'll let you rather than making a role for a woman that is phenomenally good on their own that that stands on their own two feet i sat there i looked at this and i looked at some of the other things like ghostbusters is now all the male characters are gone and it, it, there's more and more we're replacing male role models for the sake of equality and my view on equality in general, I can't remember who told me this phrase, but it really, really resonates with me. To truly have equality, you need to bring more chairs to the table. You do not kick the legs out from the chairs that are already there. And I left that movie generally feeling like, so if we, the elimination of so many male role models in cinema now, I can just see, I wonder what effect that's going to have on men's mental health in the next 10 years. That's a very interesting take. Can you dive into that a little bit more? So what have they done? Have they taken away any harsh traditional signs of, harsh is probably the wrong word, but those real strong kind of typical masculine traits, have they kind of diminished those a little bit? A little bit. So there's a few things that felt very Sure, dare I use the term woke in that Bond movie. But obviously the main one is killing off James Bond. Now, they may replace him with a very, very similar part. They may go Richard Madden, they may go Henry Cavill, and it doesn't necessarily justify losing 60 years worth of history. But, um, and it could just be, we're tying up Daniel Craig and we're just going to reboot the franchise. Okay, it's a bit of a lazy way out. But it also screamed to me a little bit like, so again, spoiler territory, they gave Bond a daughter and it almost seemed like they were building up. They had a female 007, 
right? So Bond wasn't 007 for the majority of the film. And they played that pretty well. And she was really good. The Silent Edge is really good. But they, they, it almost set up like, I, th- I think the reason why they're not casting a new person right away is they want to see what the response is to this. If it's like, wow, this is so progressive and this opens the doors to people of all sorts to play James Bond, then we may get the daughter rising up. We may get the Charlotte Lynch's character becoming James Bond in her air quotes. And I think that would change so much about the franchise for the sake of being inclusive and ruin what it sort of is. So, and then like, there's no womanizing in this. And I'm not saying that Bond should be, a, you know, horrible to women or anything like that. Of course not. And I think generally, I think the Bond franchise, even if a lot of feminists say that Bond girls are a negative thing, I think they have a history before it was commonplace to have strong female characters. Pussy Galore in the 1960s, one of a strong female character in an era where strong female characters didn't exist. Um, you know, in Moonraker, despite the name, Holly Goodhead. Yeah, the names are bad, but like the characters are strong. There's plenty of strong women and they, they, they can hold their own. Halle Berry in Down of the Day, terrible movie, great character. But it, it, it just, it's like everyone that Bond tried to flirt with turned him down. And it just, it just screamed to me. It's like, we don't want this to have this character being too masculine, too big and, and not almost saying it wasn't a good role model. Well, I'm not saying that every, every boy should emulate Bond, but I think men should have strong role models in cinema. And yes, it was, it was way too much the case probably, but we now shouldn't start taking those away. We should now be using cinema to build others up to that same level. And it just didn't sit right with me. And I think especially with the issues we have around male mental health anyway, I think marginalizing anyone they can look up to and eliminating that is just going to add to the problem. And as I said, again, I just want to make a point. I'm just, this is not to say that men should dominate cinema or sports or whatever else. It's just, I think, I think it's, it's, again, goes back to that saying, you bring other chairs to the table. You do not keep the legs up from the chairs that under already exist. I want to play devil's advocate here, but I don't actually see the value of it because I genuinely agree with this. I think, and I would love to, I'd love to be the you know opposing viewpoint on this and maybe it is two men having a conversation. So I appreciate that as well. However, I think masculinity is currently in a very fragile place. And this isn't the first time I've said this on the podcast. And I think, you know, we definitely want to look at what characteristics these certain characters have but i do agree with the sense of like you said you bring people to the table you don't eliminate them and maybe you introduce more movies because movies do influence culture and i think that we can't understate that because of they will have a giant influence and you're right about what impact this will have on the mental health of males moving forward if they don't have these role models so that being said it's like okay make more movies around equality as opposed to try to put equality into kind of franchises and storylines that already exist. Cause if, you know, you don't necessarily, it's like, take a look at Marvel and DC, right? It's like, you're not then going saying, Oh, Hey, actually we're not going to do Superman anymore. It's going to be just Superman and Superwoman together. They're like, okay, instead we'll put Wonder Woman into place. And same with uh, Captain America. We're not going to say we've got a female Captain America. We've got Captain Marvel, right? So you allow them to keep their masculine traits. And we also introduce females into the fold. And then you have, you know, the rise of Black Panther, as well, which I think is most people's favorite superhero as well. Yeah, I think Marvel do this very well. I think they're, they're, they're in the sense of, but they've got a huge character pool to play off. It's almost easy for them True. to do that. It's hard to sort of mess this up. But I, I, I think it's, it, it's, 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 it's a weird thing the way I think in the world the answer is always in the middle of any debate race, gender, 
anything. But often COVID, we can even make the argument of, but like people offered to make a point, and especially in this world of social media and sound bites, it often takes us going too far other direction to eventually find the middle ground. And I just sort of like, I don't like this. And again, not to make this a political podcast, but it's the same thing. Remember the horrendous thing that happened to Sarah Everard and the, the not all men thing. And when we got the, the, you know, aggressive going, well, we're not saying it's all men, but all men should do better. And I was like, oh, there are things that men can do to make women and should do to make women feel safer. One million percent. Every woman should have the right to feel safe. We're very lucky here in Hong Kong that I can, my fiance can go out and, and I'm, I'm safe. I, I know that she's okay. And that's not maybe not the same in, in, in the UK. But going so far and, and reacting to arguments with emotion doesn't really help anyone because what they've probably done is alienate those people who are abusive of, of all men need to step up, all men need to do more. And now alienates the people that may have gone, I want to help women stay safe, but they're going, I don't want to speak up because if I do, I'm going to get smashed back down rather than going, hey, we know that most guys aren't like this. The guys listening to whoever, you know, is making this point, who aren't like this, we need your support, we need your help. I think there'd be well, far more men more willing to speak up to help women out but they just it's this it's there is this edge thing where emotionally driven arguments always go too far whether it's in race role models equality anything and i, I I'm, I'm very much i very much if there's a method the thing i live by is the answer somewhere in the middle and i'm like well hold on that that's an emotion driven argument let's pull that back to a level of commonplace that we can actually find a true answer but not many people can do that, right? I think a lot of us are operating on emotions and actually takes a lot of work to not only firstly understand them, kind of take five, then express a more rationally based, but with a sense of emotion, because you are always going to be operating with them. But I think it's actually, you know, I think you're asking a lot of humans to actually do that because I think it's one of the, I don't think you're asking a lot, but I think it's a lot more than people actually realize i think there's a lot of people who don't even realize yet that they're responding with emotion so to even get them to be aware that that's the case is the first step and coming back to what you said i actually think that i do agree that with the sentiment that all men can step up all men can do better but i also don't think all men should be demonized you know and that's where i think that the kind of middle ground has to come in because if i do agree i'm just like it shouldn't be about a woman needing a hotline to call when she feels unsafe it shouldn't be about her wearing a longer skirt she shouldn't even have to feel like that in the first place and it's not woman attacking woman. So I do agree with that. And I see where that message comes from. And you can also understand the emotion because of there's people being killed and raped and all these horrendous things. So no doubt that there is emotion. But if you actually speak with a true feminist, she loves men, right? And that's the reality of it. She she knows what strong men and good men and how they can play a good role in her life. It's those ones on the far end of the extreme, usually the ones that are too vocal, but actually, funnily enough, they're not the majority. I reckon the majority of feminists are actually good. They have good intentions and they're women who love men. They just don't love dysfunctional and these wild men. And then it's the ones that talk too much that tend to take, get the most attention. And then you say them argue with emotions and they're also arguing on social media with other emotional people on the other side. So <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a, like a, a wild <laughs> West. So exactly. And it's, that's the thing I was, I was thinking as you were saying this, it's like, we tend to hear the most emotional people. We don't tend... Because it's, it's, it's like the people selling booty for us weight loss supplement are louder than the people saying calorie deficit because it's sexy. Yes, exactly. And the thing is, is that 
also, those people live on social media. If you go out and speak to people in the real world, most of them don't feel like that. I was in Bogota recently. I went on a tour, um, like a hike, with, and there was a, as a woman journalist, and she was saying how much of a feminist she was, and she had such an appreciation for men. I was like, this is a real feminist. This is a real human being living in the real world. Ironically, she doesn't have social media, um, which was <laughs> quite interesting, actually. But that's the reality. I think if you go and speak with people and you actually have human being conversations, then you might find that most people are rational, but then you get the loudest and the most dysfunctional and the most emotional with the largest Twitter accounts, unfortunately. But anyway, yeah, I don't come here. <laughs> niche, like, you know, I know that went off in a big tangent, good tangent, but I quite enjoyed that. See, I think the my aim of, of, of targeting men isn't to, to alienate and say, I don't work with women, because of course I work with women, I work with many women, and I, I will continue to. But it, it's it's like, what does it mean? I had a great episode of my podcast with, um, mine's got gone blank all of a sudden, but um, one of the free school coaches, and he was like, we we're talking about like what it means to be a man. And what it means to be a man is, is, is being able to have someone that has respect for women that that does hold themselves to high moral value and a high integrity you know it, it's so helping men as a niche can have a knock-on effect to a better life for everybody i hope although that's at least my intention no i agree i agree and like i said i think then there needs to be a shift towards this and people are like well why are you not including females well someone else is like go with where your heart is going right we can't tackle every single world problem you can definitely contribute in areas but you're much better off focusing on men making them better men so then they can go hopefully help solve global warming they can hopefully help in different situations that are going on in the world so i completely agree and actually i did want to come back to your niche funnily enough and you mentioned that you want to kind of get people specifically men into like this confident and better place and be able to potentially come into what a modern man might look like. Does that come from where your journey started? I think I think to a degree, it comes from sort of like how I've evolved more than necessarily where my journey started. Like, you know, for, for a period of time, I, I always used to struggle with what is my niche? I, I, I consider myself a, a bit of a jack of all trades master of none in a lot of ways. I've, I've got to help many women get in shape and guys. I, I, I think it's a little bit of like, there's twofold to this. There's, I, I, I see where this is going and I can see that even though men are in a good place and a higher place in society in a way, if you speak to a feminist now, there's work to be done to even that gap. I can see the trend of, of things. I, I, I want to sort of be able to offer that support and offer that confidence, but especially in a world where it's more difficult when we're locked in, locked in doors from a lot of countries. And, and I, I think, I think so that that's sort of part of it. I can see where, where there's going to be a demand for it. As regards to whether it's you know how it's how I've evolved with it, I I, I think I think as, as, as I've come through and I've, I've I've experienced some stuff in my life personally and professionally, and the way my business has developed is that I consider myself way more than just a personal trainer now, and it's almost come full circle. I remember back when I was at Virgin Active in Birmingham, I had this idea of creating a lifestyle brand for men where we get like. People talking about their charisma and people talk getting people talking about their fashion sense and getting them in shape and getting a haircut and I just completely transform them. I'm like almost straight guys queer eye for you know this, you know, this kind of thing. And then I forgot about that. And I moved to London and worked with everybody and got better as a coach. And it's weird how things come full circle. And you know, as I started from for years, and I'm gonna speak about this a lot because my biggest most proud thing I've done in twenty twenty one is start the podcast. And it's something I wanted to do for years and I didn't do for numerous reasons, some my fault, some not. And I, I started, you know, when I started that, I was like, I, I read very click, oh, I don't just want this to be a fitness podcast. I want to speak to people who are interesting, exciting, who, who are driven and are passionate. You all know when you speak to someone that's passionate about something, it doesn't matter what the topic is. 
And I think success is, is inspiring. So I wanted to be like, right, how do I make my business reflect how I now I am as a person where my goal isn't just six pack abs and biceps. It's how to perform better, how to feel better, how to look better, how to have more charisma, how to do public speaking, how to like how to run a business. There's, there's so much more to that that as I as I speak to these interesting people and, and develop in these areas in my own life and my hobbies and interests outside of outside of the gym, I was like, this slowly becoming a part of my business where it becomes so much more than just here's a here's a six pack. Great, but what does that six pack encompass? What what like what like one of the best stories for clients I had, which is who sums this up, I had a client called Winston who um, he was a suffer from pancreatic cancer, just in remission when he came to me. And very out of shape, very no structure to his routine. And he if you look at his initial photos, he's looking up at the ceiling and he never took photos of himself. And if you look at his Instagram, it's just a picture of his wife, even the profile picture. And I'm like, if you stumble on his Instagram, you'd be like, man, she's got a weird name. And for time, as he got leaner and got healthier, we worked with some stuff, and he was you know, complete beginner to this. He started sending me gym selfies. I'm like, he's getting into taking photos. And I just remember this thing he said in the console when I found his Instagram, like, he doesn't, he hates taking photos of And he's got leaner and leaner leaner. He agrees to a photo shoot. Like, what a great story. And a week before the photo shoot, his the gym's all shut for lockdown. And if I hadn't remembered that thing in my head about this is about his confidence, this isn't just about showcasing his abs, I wouldn't have had the idea of well, let's just do it in the middle of Tamar Park. Let's do it in Hong Kong Harbor. And in one in a wife wouldn't take photos of himself in private to a man who will get in the most one of the most densely popular areas in the most densely populated cities in the world, take his shirt off and do a photo shoot publicly. And it's it's yeah, he looked great. But it's not about that. It's about the man he became personally, professionally, confidence-wise. You know, I've seen how he's changed with his family. I've seen how he's changed in his business. I've seen how he's taken more time for him. And that my medium will always be getting results to people physically. But it, it, and, and I think a lot of times when people when people move away from one thing, like everyone in the hit thirty tends to do this, right? They don't want to just be focused on abs anymore, whether it's their training or their business. But a lot of a lot of coaches go into this and go, well, I'm never going to post results again, and it's all about health and longevity and like, cool, great, I get it. But most people are coming to you to have their first six pack of their life, and it's you delivering on that promise with aggression and vigor and energy that has all this stuff. That sort of, well, let's just take official today and just make sure you get sleep, and then a week later we'll do a slow. Pro- doesn't improve anyone's confidence. So I have as much drive to get an efficient and quick result as possible, as long as it's healthy. But I want to use that without stealing Akash's um, MRRNT, but using the physical to, for the mental or whatever he's, whatever his catchphrase is, which is great. I love that business. You know, but it, it is. It's what it's all about. So that, I think that's sort of where, where it came from. Long-winded answer. I know. I'm good at them. <laughs> that was a very good answer and actually as you were telling the story about your client I got goosebumps hearing it so even just you telling the story was incredibly impactful and I completely agree and um, I think you we all start with the intention just to get people in shape and it evolves into something different and we find that it unlocks a different side of you and once you see what that can do for a person in their entire life, it's just intoxicating. And that's what allows you. And this is actually going to be one of my next questions to actually have longevity within an industry that doesn't really have much longevity. So yeah, with that being said, you said you're now a bit of a veteran, you're now 11 years in, what has allowed you to stay in here this long without 
you know, because what we see is when people get to about the three or four year mark, they start getting bored because you're still on the gym floor as well, right? Which we did touch on just before we jumped on. But a lot of people, you see how tired they are of being a personal trainer and a coach. So how are you speaking with such enthusiasm and passion to the point you're giving me goosebumps 11 years in? It's interesting you mentioned about that. And I think that's worse these days because I think it, the the my next move is more into online coaching. I do a lot of online coaching. I love online coaching. I see the benefits of it, but I do think a lot of people now go into the industry and see the seven-figure business coach and they go, right, I'm going to I'm gonna be an online coach. Day one, like, have you even got into a gym? You know, I see some guys that, great, great guys and like smart, nice kids and I'm not saying you've got to be jacked. I'm not the biggest guy in the world, but I've seen guys that are now like online fatigue specialists. I'm like, can you bicep curl threes? And I like, it, 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 it baffles my mind a little bit. I think it's, it's, so it's, I think we do, I think there's more of this three, four year mark now because people are like, well, the gym floor, if they do it at all, is just a means to an end rather than this is a fulfilling career for many people. I'm moving on to this now for 10 and after 10, 11 years. And it's because that, that I've, I've, I feel I've really done that part of my career justice and it's made me the coach I am and it makes me a better online coach to, to sort my clients. But to answer your question in terms of what's allowed me to have some sort of longevity, I'm going to give you an answer you probably wouldn't think. The reason why I think I've managed to stay so passionate for 11 years is my imposter syndrome. And here's your soundbite for your Instagram page. But the, because uh, everyone considers imposter syndrome a negative thing. And it can be. And I've had times in my life where I've let imposter syndrome paralyze me into I'm not good enough you know, or I'm going to be found out or I'm forced. And it was always times I'm not looking after my own training and my own diet and things like that, right? And I don't feel like, like how, could, how could I have had a Domino's last night for the third time this week and be telling the client to suck it up and eat their chicken and broccoli, right? But for, for every negative imposter syndrome was talked about, people never speak about the positive imposter syndrome. It's my imposter syndrome that keeps me pushing forward. It's my imposter syndrome that keeps me wanting to learn more. It's my imposter syndrome reason why I will look at studying as me investing into me in five years, not trying to be a better coach today. And I think it's very valuable. There was a coach, I can't remember his name now because it was a story of a story of a story that I reshared that you're saying like as a new coach you know you understand you're going to have imposter syndrome you come in you realise there's so much to learn I'm like it doesn't change 10 11 years in like all that's changed is my circle goes up you know when I first started in, in, in the industry I'm looking up to the guy who does 25 sessions a week at Virgin Active going man I know nothing now my, my, my competition is Jordan Shallow Luke Lehman Nick Daniel and I'm like the level of imposter won't change. It's just the people above me change. So like when you realize it's not going away and learning how to harness that and, and, and finding the joy of learning. And I love this industry because it's one of those things, no matter, there are things I love about this industry, things I hate about this industry. But the things I love about this industry is that it's, I don't want to throw shade at psychologists and doctors. I'm really complicated. I couldn't do any of those jobs. But it's, 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 it's it's, it's a ridiculously complicated job to be a good PT because a doctor goes to medical school and learns about medicine, learns about the human body, right? A surgeon will learn about the human body. A psychologist will learn about the mind. A personal trainer has to know a good working knowledge of that, good working knowledge of biochemistry, good working knowledge of training, good people skills, good working knowledge of anatomy. There's all these things and you're never going to be an expert at all of them. So in one way, that could be quite overwhelming, but in another way, that just, how many doors have I got to go down? What, what can I focus on the next three months that's going to make me a better 
person, make me a, as well as a better coach. And I think that is what really keeps me going in, in this field. And, and I suppose to give a non-selfish answer for a second, is also, it, it's, it's always like that, right? Like it, it's, it's those clients that have those moments where you go, oh, I make a difference. Because I think we, have a, we can make as coaches a bigger difference to health in the world than doctors, hands down. I'll ask you a question. How often? Do you, how many times a year do you see a doctor at it? I don't actually have a registered GP at the moment. I think that says no. a lot. <laughs> no, me neither. Right? I, if I get something wrong with me, I get them in pain, or I'm worried about something and I'm freaking out, I go to the doctor. I don't go with the rest of the time. The doctor is, shit's gone too far. Let's, oh, I, 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 need, I need to look at it. But it's not the preventative. We, there are probably clients of yours, especially when you were on the gym floor, that see you probably more than their family. You have a much bigger impact in the lives of these people. So I, th- I think you know, there's a lot of things that keeps you in the industry, but I think it's, 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 it's the biggest one that keeps me engaged is, is this always, is always something to learn. I'm always a student. I'm always an idiot in a good way. <laughs> and I think that's a beautiful answer. And that's what I actually love about the industry, but just from a slightly different viewpoint is that even with the training side of things, it's like you can't complete that. It's, it's impossible, right? There's always more weight to lift. There's always more distance that you can cover. And each year you grow older, it's a slightly different challenge, right? It's impossible to complete. And that's what I love about it. It's just, there's no, you can set goals, but there's no way of just saying definitively, I can be complete with this. And it, it's, you know, that's what I love about it. And it, it also rewards hard work as well. And I think that's another element that leans towards, but coming back to what you mentioned on imposter syndrome, I heard, I think it was Stephen Barlett recently mentioned it. He said, it's probably a good sign that you're doing the right thing because you're putting yourself in your you know, out of your comfort zone. Cause if you are feeling like, you know, you're feeling like the man and you're feeling like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm feeling great. You're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. Or you're probably not putting yourself in enough uncomfortable positions. So it's a good sign that you are where you need to be. And as long as, as you mentioned, you don't allow that imposter syndrome to debilitate you to a degree, then you can really thrive because if that is going to be an indication, okay, well, why am I feeling this? And I always say that people, when, when people get offended by certain things or they have certain insecurities, there's some truth there. And even again, Jordan Peterson says this and he says, you know, your insecurity is a great road to travel down, right? So you might be really critical of yourself, but there's some truth in there. And if you use it as a form of uh, exploration and be productive with it, then you're going to be so much better on the other side. So it's an interesting answer to the question. And I, I completely agree with you. Okay. I always do that. And it, it, that, that's, that's, a, that's a double-edged sword though. Like I think sometimes yes. like I, I, I will always focus on my weaknesses, which is great. It allows me to improve. Sometimes it allows me to fixate too much on what I'm not good at and not what I am good at. But the, the real double-edged sword is that it's like sometimes like I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm, 99% certain I've got ADHD from every <laughs> symptom in the book I'm off the Richter scale every test you'll do I'm off the Richter scale and anyone that knows me pretty much agrees with me the amount of things I've lost leather jackets trainers watches glasses like everything I lose everything and, but because of that I, 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 I struggle I go through periods of really deep focus like I literally will stay on my laptop until 4am and I won't look up I don't go through periods of time where I just can't focus on anything at all even the most simple thing I've got like a beginner program I've written a million of them and I just can't start but the, the big thing I, I'll often get sidetracked distracted with is that I'll go right for the next three months I'm going to learn about the immune system let's say and I've got three months I've prepared it I'm ready I've got the study I've a master at this and then all of a sudden I'll have a client and I'll go why can't I fix her knee pain? And then I've got a wormhole down anatomy 
and programming. And then I'll go, oh, this exercise didn't look right. Why didn't it look right? And then I'll start and I'll buy a course on programming. I'm like, and three months later, I've not touched the immune system. No, I, I'm, I'm brilliant at it. I, I, I like same focus. I, I bounce between topics way too much. I could probably be further down the, the, you know, the expert route than I, than I am if I, if I could just keep to a routine. However, you do have those bouts of uh, going super intense. I'm sure they're very favorable. And on that note, I wanted to ask next about you and your desire to perfect your craft. And I would say that because of your meticulous nature in this sense, and this is something I observed of, of you on the gym floor when we used to work together, which I want to share that story in just a moment, but I'll come back to that later. Something I did observe of you is that you were yeah, very attention to detail orientated. You were very meticulous about technique and everything along those lines. And I found that fascinating. I found it really interesting. I think it had a large impact on the way that I looked at technique very critically. So with that being said, what has kind of driven you towards that attention to detail? Would you say it's kind of that imposter syndrome? Or would you say it's that diving down there? And what would you say that your, how have your clients benefited from that as well? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a few things to this as well. And a little bit of that imposter syndrome. I think that it's always been the thing that I, I've never been a, I've never been a gifted person at anything. That sounds so self-deprecating, but it's, I, I was never genetically gifted. I was pretty quick. I was a good sprinter, right? But I had a terrible running technique. I looked like an idiot. And I, I could have been so much quicker. I was, I was all right at rugby, not, expe- not exceptional. I was all right at a fair few things, but never great. And when it came to weight training, nothing showcased that more than my weight training. You know, I, I, I you know if you took an XOME, you probably find that my, my, my T-spine, my upper back is literally just fixed like this. I can't extend. I can't move. So, and I've got big dog femurs and short tip fib and I'm like, oh, okay, squatting is rubbish then. Okay, let's throw that out. Like all the stuff that you're told to do on day one. And nothing ever felt right. So my own training, I've always been on a path to going, right, okay, how do I work around my structure? How do I allow find someone who's not built really to get the most from training and how do I find a way of getting this training? And then when I went into becoming a coach, it was like, it was a little bit of like, I want to help those people that just don't know. I, just, I remember that light bulb moment in my head when someone taught me a cue that could make me feel my lats for the first time. Like, I remember those light bulb moments. I'm like, I want to give that to other people. People that generally says, well, they are frustrated that they can't build the chest or their arms or you know, build muscle. I'm like, I can relate to those people because I'm not genetically gifted to build muscle. I'm not a freak shot. I'm not, you know, like, you know, you know you're mesomorphic guy, you know, freak of nature. So I think I there's an element of that. And I think, I think there's an element as well that when you learn about me and you well, basically answered every single question, there's, there's half of me is driven by my desire to be noticed and a bit of ego and half of me is driven by being a true philanthropist and wanting to help everyone else around me more than me so it's a, a weird place to be i'm in two polar opposites but like I, I, for, for a kid I, I i never really stood out right i can never how do i stand out like i take that person in the gym and probably goes well he's not as big as that guy and i'm, I'm I, I make him on bodyweight squats get more than he's ever got out of a 400 kilo leg press and that 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 was enough to give me something to sink my teeth into was and in turn it ended up getting better results to clients and I, I, I have better attention because of that I mean, going into talking about how this helped people my clients you know I had better attention I had the best retention in that company for years and years on end I had no I've had no client get a serious injury in my career niggles we all get niggles if you never get a niggle you never train hard enough but not too many and I've had trainers that said they stayed with me because 
then they, they, they've gone to all the trailers and got hurt within a month. And I, I think that's quite a, a powerful position to be where people, people you know, are, are, are new to this and hurt themselves all the time. And I want to be someone who can make it as efficient as possible for these stressed out, overworked people that can't recover anyway to get the most from their training. Yeah, I think a selfish pursuit that also serves lever is probably one of the best routes you can go down because we're all going to have a selfish pursuit, but not all of us is going to serve. Yeah, it's true, but not all of them are going to serve other people as well, right? And let's say that yours is just to make as much money as possible so you can live this fantastic life you want to live. You know, great. That's all great for you. But isn't it amazing when your maybe your insecurities and your selfish pursuits actually lead you to helping others? And I think there's definitely places you can channel your energy. And if that's a healthy one, then amazing. But going back your selfish thing selfish the term selfish is a bad rap because we yes. all we all are told that you put the gas mask on you first before you put it onto your kids but people are ashamed to say they do it like the oxygen mask you you not the gas mask so we really have to go wrong <laughs> but like it's yeah i don't think there's anything wrong with having a selfish food. most of us most people get into the gym because they don't feel confident it's an insecure industry. I like, don't hide from that. Embrace it. Like my because of this industry, and I'm not ashamed to say that. And, and and a lot of the stuff I've completely worked through, and I've got much more confidence. And some things are linger. You know, things happen for child. It's okay. It's fine. Like you know, if I, if I make it out, the one of the biggest barriers to entries. Because I don't know if you came on this call, you said you know, you know, you wanted to blend in my story with how to help the biggest pitfalls of beginners and intermediates. One of the biggest things that alienates people about getting personal trainers is, is that they feel that we're these robots that just love chicken and broccoli. I remember a client who got a great transformation a few years ago. Do you remember Rebecca James? Really, really strong. Yeah. Yeah. The, I the time I started really paying attention to my diet was when you told me you had a Domino's pizza and I thought, oh, you would, I thought we were different. But no, I like beer, I like pizza, I like donuts, which everyone else. And I, mean, I, I think I think more personal trainers can paint themselves as, as more average, like because that that's good. It's fine. I would want I would want to be someone that can't wait for the next broccoli fix. <laughs> and I think um, you, we do go down that route, but quite often you come back to a balanced place. And I think that I actually said on my top ten reflections for the past year that the less I've been obsessed and addicted to the health and fitness world the better coach I've got because I've become more relatable. And it was funny because I think inadvertently that made me a good coach at first, but it might have been my downfall later on if I didn't decide to try and, well, actually just as I evolved as a person, I became more well-rounded. That actually subsequently helped me because I could now say, well, actually I understand that you, when you go on holiday, you don't actually fancy going to the gym. And I can also say, oh, maybe you should just like go for a gentle jog around the city and try and, you know, get snap some photos on the way rather than saying, you know, pack your lunchbox with you. So I think that, yeah, I completely agree with that as well. I think, you know, showing that you are a human is, is helpful. And also destigmatizing, not even destigmatizing, but removing the, stereotype of personal trainers. I said this again in the, in the episode on why being a foodie is a bad excuse. And I led with, I don't know why, but everyone seems to think that when you become a personal trainer, you switch off that part of your brain, the way you love pizza, donuts, and beer for your example, right? It's like that switch is very much still on, you know, it's like, we don't like it any less than you do, but I want to ask you a very broad question now. So hopefully you can pick up this apart, but how does someone execute the perfect transformation? That's a great question. Do you know what? This is one of my reflections from Turns 21 because it's become more and more as I do more online coaching. You, you really do start to see the downfalls of people that struggle. 
in one-to-one, there's that lecture layer accountability because they have to turn up and look you in the eye three times a week. And they, they there's no excuses. If you come in and visually and you're like, hey, how's your diving? Yeah, good. And they look down at the floor. All right, talk to me. But like, I had, I had a conversation with somebody today. It was like, hey man, no check-in this week? Uh, yeah, I had a bad week last week. So I'm back on it now. I'll check in next week. No, no, no. That's when you need to check in. It's not the good weeks that you did that got you to the point where you're not happy with your physique. It's these bad weeks. These are the reasons that have got you. You do these more consistently, and that's the reason why you signed up in the first place. Yet people often use coaching as a highlight reel, and I often find that people, one of the biggest things, that, if there's an initial entry point onto this, it's that it's being open and honest to communicate with somebody whether that's a coach, a friend, an accountability buddy, a gym partner, whatever it is, I would always vouch for getting a coach. I have a coach myself, Blake West, well worth follow. But I think that the clients that get best results for me are the ones that communicate with me more regularly. Right now, I, you know, Mika, I've used a lot on social media. I talk about video on social media. You know, just the ones that are attacking me on social media. I don't, I don't necessarily want to put, necessarily push for tags. It's lovely when people do. Are they the ones losing the most weight? Yes. They're also the ones messaging me questions in my DMs. They're also the ones that want to learn or get stuck into the process. I think the more invested you are in the process, the more you get out of the process. Every time. There's no, there's nothing like this. You can fancy a girl and do everything to make yourself desirable and she still doesn't fancy you. You can work hard for promotion, but someone plays the game better. We've both been there. And, but it, it, it's, but you can't fake a result. So I think, I think the first thing is is the perfect client transformation is being open and honest because we need to be able to address your true flaws, the things that are stopping you get a result. And I think if you if you have that, if that one thing alone will make, take you half the way there, because if there is an issue, we sort it immediately. The second one is I'm going to put consistency and attention to detail within one thing, and like it's the attention to detail in terms of like most people who I find hit plateaus, it's not because you don't know what to do. It's not because they're, I compare fitness a lot to fat loss in particular, to like your finances. I've struggled with money most of my life. I'm not good at saving it, I'm not good at managing it, I'm not a guy who's got investments, I don't have Bitcoin. I don't know what, I don't I barely know what a Bitcoin is, some internet thing, I don't know, right? I'm not good with money. And if you ask me why I'm not good, why I've, not, I've been struggling saving money throughout my life, it's not because, oh man, I wish I hadn't bought that sixth Rolex this week. It's, it's, it's fancy coffees at Starbucks. It's too many deliveries. It's buying useless stuff that adds up. And it's the same thing with clients and results. It's not, oh, they've gone out to KFC five times this week. Rare. You get the occasional one. But most of the time, it's they've been drinking milky coffees, not paying attention to them. They've been driving the oil or guesstimating portion sizes. And I think if you want to have freedom, with the people have freedom in their diet and get to eat a little bit of what they want, are also the people that are the most structured and consistent and the most attention to detail the rest of the week. That gives them more leeway that that one meal on a Saturday night make, makes a difference. People go, wow, I'm getting loads of fat from having a meal out on a Saturday night. Let's put aside weight gain overnight and reasons why. But if you generally have gained fat that week, it isn't it isn't day night. It's the fact that it's day night combined with the chips off your partner's plate and the milky Starbucks and the oil that you had and the cookie that you didn't count for and the nuts at your desk. It, it, it's it's the oversights. So I think those those two things are the big thing because the rest of it we can teach. 
Is there anything else to add to that list or would you say that's pretty definitive once you get those four in place? I think they're the most definitive. I think, you know, other than that, it, it, it's just, other, other than that, it's just the stuff we know, right? Kind mm. of. Kind of. Communication. Yeah, communication, honesty, consistency, attention to detail, but all kind of combined into two, but four kind of separate counterparts. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. I, I did think for another one briefly. Then I think my mind's gone absolutely blank. I'll probably think of it in a second, but I think I say I think that that sort of gets you most of the way there. If I had to throw another one, I'd be keeping it simple. A lot of clients recently, I shared my diet. Bear my 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 diet recently to the end of my prep was a push. Like my calories were low, so I didn't have much leeway. And if you looked at my diet, it'd be like shake in the morning, shake and oats in the evening. In between there, I had two mixed meals, which ended up being just being packet turkey from MS, sockeye salmon, which is like a low fat smoked salmon. And then carbs were like a bagel, like on its own, right? That's the, that's the lazy man deficit. <laughs> it's, 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 it, it quite rightly is. And I'm not saying that I don't, I won't cook something fancier or I won't, you know, do something else. But even when my diet was higher in calories and I had more leeway, it was very similar to that structure. Then I just added something in a light because if I generally wanted something, I generally craving something, I'd rather have a pack of arrow bubbles or a smoked salmon bagel than I probably would go, man, do you know what I really crave? Red curry sauce. Like, like it, it isn't. And I think, I think people fail transformation. This goes into the attention to detail thing. I, I, do not like giving recipes to clients unless they've earned it. And it's not that we're against recipes. But when someone comes on day one, they go, hey, uh, two things I really hate when someone comes in on day one is one, God, can, I, can, I have, can I have loads of recipes to do? I'm like, How much, you've just told me that you work 16 hours a day and you have three, three children. I'm like, and you're trying to tell me that you have time to, rather than doing twice a week quick food prep, simple, or buy stuff on the go, you're telling me that you can do like a la carte gourmet low carb spag bowls five nights a week that works for three days and then you fall to bits the other thing i hate when people start is when they talk about oh i don't want to get too lean i want to be sustainable i'm like that just shows me you've got one foot in the door and one foot out the door and i'm not saying we don't want you to sustain your results because of course we do but the studies are very very clear that quicker short-term weight loss often leads to increased long-term weight loss because people get into the process, they build habits. People don't hardly lose any weight because they go, it just, it just like the person who gets you to the end goal, that, that you at 70 kilos or whatever it is, is a different person to the you now. So I want you to don't think of the diet as sustainable. Think of this as the building blocks to your sustainable life. You get to that end goal and then your goals and your, what you want from life and your food and your hobbies and things like that may change. So once we've got you down to that 70 kilos and you go, well, I want to maintain a 75. Well, okay. You've now got this structure that's got you to 70. What do you generally miss? What is still important to you? Oh, I, I, I missed dating night with my partner. Fantastic. Here it is. You know, oh, what, what, I really like a little bit of chocolate. I still love chocolate. Okay, cool. Let's fit that into your diet. And then we find sustainable. If you look at sustainable on day one, you're already halfway, half in, half out. Yeah. So what about people who argue against that? Because I'm recently reading a book and it's from Dr. Nicole LaPera and it's all on um, healing your 
trauma, trauma. essentially. So it's a bit of a different topic, but she mm. promotes this thing called a small daily promise where like just having a glass of water every day can lead to a long-term change. What are your thoughts on that for people who maybe want to opt for just these smaller lifestyle changes? I, I, I'm not against that at all. There's, 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 there's such a benefit in some ways. Not everyone is ready for change. And dieting, you have to be ready. Like you told me six to eight months ago, you know, you told me a year ago, I was in a, I was in a bad place. I was in a, I was in a place of work I didn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy my training. And you told me then to diet, that would have been impossible. I just wasn't mentally ready for it. I was mentally ready for it three, four months ago. And, you know, lo and behold, I got in great shape. But I wasn't at the time. So that then made me going, right, what could give me a few quick wins? What could take the things that's weighing me down in life? And just start to turn that narrative. You obviously know John Jordan like me, right? And I went to an event called the Waking Up Weekend with him, which is one of the best events I've ever been to. Non-profit weekend in Bradford. And they do some in London, I think, still. But they talk about your brain has something called a process. So your brain is this process, the way it's thinking, and the way that it's thinking will react to the environment. And every action you do is led by that, that process. But that comes from everything that's happened to you in the past into your process. And I always used to compare, the way I used to explain this to people, is like, when I was young, I was terrible at chatting to women, really bad. Because I, 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 I didn't know what to do. I put them on a pedestal and I was like, oh, they won't chat to me. And because, when I, because I thought that, I'd go in like this and go, uh, can I buy you a drink? And they're like, go away. And then reinforce that, oh, I think a girl, I get rejected. So over time, all I did was there's a day coach called Johnny Cassell who he taught me, he goes, a girl can only be five out of 10 on looks alone. You then need to go and see if she's exciting enough to make the other five, which is a way nicer way of thinking about it from, from women. Like they're, they're more just the way they look. But the, that made it like, me saying that girl's a five out of 10 was way less scary. So I went over with more confidence with the excitement of, oh, let's see if this girl's cool. And over time, I approached more people I started to, over time, get more and more positive interactions to the point where I didn't have, my process began to change. I just changed the perspective. So in those situations, I think if you're healing trauma, if you've got something weighing you down, finding something, if you're constantly getting knocked back, finding small wins add up. And big changes can start with small wins. So I'm, I'm, I'm far from saying that these small, small, you don't start small. There's a difference between actually starting small and saying, I just want to start small. It's the mentality, it's the language you use that I think is more the thing I have an issue with. I'm not saying everyone should dive in day one and go fucking fish and greens. No, far, far from it. Far from it. You know, like, and I think you can, you know, precision nutrition, millions of results from making small daily, weekly changes. And I, th- I think there's, there's certainly certainly a place, to, place for that for people in, in different aspects of their life. I think but the, the people obviously that self-select coaching, the, the people often want to make a big change. And I think the big thing here is just expectation management, right? I don't mind if you generally want to be sustainable. If we have the conversation saying, okay, we can do this more gradually, but understand the results are also going to be more gradual. And then someone says to me, yeah, fine with me. I'm like, Cool. When I look at coaching, if it's a Harry Potter story, my job is to be Dumbledore and my client is Harry. So it's their story. I'm a mentor. I'm a guide in their story. I'm Gandalf. Client's Frodo. And I think when it when it comes to that, like if the expectation in place, like do you want to take the quick route to Mordor, go into a Lord of the Rings reference now, or do you want to take the long route to Mordor? I don't mind which one you take, but as long as you know it's going to be longer, it might be a little bit less prickly along the way. 
Expectation management comes, this is such a fundamental in what I do as an early part of coaching. It, when I look back over my service, both online and in person, the things I tweak most is onboarding and expectation management, more than ever is training nutrition. I'm glad you touched on that point. It's a very, very valid point as well. Like you said, there are multiple routes to getting there. And I think the challenge that we find is that most of us are driven by let's get this as quick as possible or not realizing that our lifestyle and our circumstances might actually lean towards us taking the longer route but because we're so built into getting things quick and just trying to achieve things i think that you know blindsides people a little bit sometimes and they're just like taking the route which they think they want but actually it might have been more suited for them to take the more gradual route and actually would have reaped more the long-term success so how does one identify which route there is for you because you said okay i know now that three more or four months ago i'm now ready to jump into this immersive experience of dieting how can people start to know what they're ready for and when the right time is it's a really good question because it's one of those things you sort of just know right i could just felt like is it this position where i had the mental (laughs) place no i think it's difficult but for me if you look at my example i just felt as a matter of headspace it was a good place to work i was in a good place had a deadline was put in my diary and that helped and I was in a position where I started to get my training in a good space. So, like, it, it was in a way gradual, but it was a gradual without like, committing to anything. It was like, right, let's, let's, I'm in a new environment. Let's get my training back in place. My training started getting better. Okay, cool. Um, I start to realize I'm a bit fat. My face is very fluffy. Oh, okay, cool. I need to sort this out. So, I start to dial in my nutrition a little bit. And then I say, right, okay, coach, okay, let's dial this in a bit more. And then all of a sudden, the photos put my diamond. Like, okay, now we're in a good place. Let's go. I built some momentum. Let's go. I think. When it comes to clients who are maybe less sure, they're maybe going through this process in their head and, and, and I don't know it's whether they know they're in the right time or, or they don't, whether it's more that they lack the belief that they can get there in the first place. Often when a client says to me, I want the sustainable approach and they get started and they start losing some weight and they come to you and go, Simon, do you think I could have apps? And I'm sitting there going, you said you didn't want apps, Right. Almost every time, if someone commits and starts making change, I very, very, very rare do I see someone stick to their guns and say, oh, "I just want to be fifteen percent body fat." Very rare. And so I think I think it's more it's more of a belief. So it's how, the question more now is how to coax that belief out of somebody. And as I said, when I go through my my business and I, I refine what I do, so I have um I have an onboarding call out with everybody. So I, I get I print through the, the my my onboarding set of emails, which breaks everything down step by step. What the checking process is, open up the membership area. You have all your videos and understanding things, and you have a kickstart area to, so you can start to understand the basics. But then I go through it and like like you said earlier on, the many roads lead to Rome, and it's that right. My job on that initial onboarding strategy call with a client is to do two things. One is to show them the path from A to B. So it's like you're here right now. You lack clarity, and this is the reason why you don't take action. Okay, this is where you said you want. This is realistically week by week how long it's going to take and what you need to do each week, like break it down into 90 days, 60 days, 30 days, 7 days, and then go, right, to do this weekly goal, you need to do this, this, and this today. And okay, and then we've gone through the program and go, right, you said there's many roads through to road. When we say we want people to put anyone listening to things when, when they say commit to being hardcore dieting. It means we're looking to lose half a percent of your body weight per week. Now, that could be done. 
high carb, low carb, fasting, vegan. It can be done Mediterranean. It can be done sushi only diets. It can become fish and rice can diet. It can be done so many ways. And it's it's now going away. Here's, here's a meal plan I put together from what you've, you've told me you like. Now, is there anything that's overwhelming here? Is there anything you're unsure? Is there anything you don't like? Is there anything we need to change? Because a lot of clients come in with this thing and what's overwhelming to them and what lacks their belief is that I can't stick to the diet that bodybuilder did. But if, if you go, and they're often quite scared to say, I'd really like a bit of cereal. And then sometimes you go, okay, let's put in some cereal. And they're like, well, I can do that. Yeah, of course you can. Why can't? Why wouldn't you be able to? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. And then you put that in and then you go, all right, what else? Oh, I, I don't like cooking. Okay, how about I change rice and a salmon fillet to smoked salmon and one bagel? I could do that. Yeah, of course you could. Lazy man's diet, like you said about me, right? And it's like, it, it's like having that call in my business and, and or how, you know, or just someone to give you that little bit of like, look, this is totally achievable. And rather than thinking of where you want to be, a lot of people think about Everest before they reach base camp, right? Well, I want you to have an eye on Everest. I want you to know about Everest, but I don't really want you to think about Everest too much. I want you to think about what's the next milestone? What's the next checkpoint? Because I always say the first and the last week of the diet are the hardest. First week's changing habits. Last week, it's like, ooh, I can have a donut on Sunday. In between that, it's like, it's just routine. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Just if you need to. Um, so I, th- I, think, I think allowing people to know they know is to get a clear idea from speaking to them of what they actually want, which is easier for some than others. And then once you've got there, it's, it's uncovering what the path is, making them aware of what it is. It's the same thing when you get a business coach, right? I want to make £100,000 a year. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. Whereas if you say, okay, you need to speak to this many people, you need this many clients. To get this many clients, you need to speak to this many people. And you need to spend, send this message, this message, this message. You're now more likely to start. And that's all it is. Starting build momentum. And that rolls down the hill. Yeah, I was just about to add that. Like the, the first and best thing you can do is just actually get started and then see what's feasible along the way. Because if you can, might say something in theory works, but then you're only going to really find out a couple of weeks in. But I think you're absolutely right. And you kind of shifted my question more towards self-belief, which I think is a good way to go because of a good coach. And I would probably say that you would identify this as well, should genuinely believe and know you can do better than the client's goal is right so they'll say i can get you know i I just want to get to a size 12 in the dress you know like well uh, my usual question after that is like okay best case scenario and let's let's dream here what would you want to look and feel like? Because then you get the real answer. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I hear the first thing you said, and let's go towards there because if that's as much self-belief that you have at this moment in time, but I know you can get here. Realistically, because of I know that calorie deficit consistency science will allow you to actually get there. So I just need you to believe that, okay, we can take these first steps. And then once you get a bit of that belief, you see the results, you're like, okay, well now, now we can actually focus on what you really want. Yeah. And I think, I think as well, it's, 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 it's knowing this is where people skills come into coaching. We, you know, is that that's the person says they want to get to size 12 and you say they can get further. For one person, you might say, if you had nothing, there was no chance of failing, what would you want to look like? That question you just asked yourself. And they might go, oh, I'd like to look at that. I'm like, oh, actually, no, that's totally possible. And they're like, really? And then you push for that. 
But at the same time, I see a lot of coaches that, especially coaches that have got into the bodybuilding world as their, their first insight into personal training. This is something that Luke Lehman always talks about. It's like, you see, you know, 60-year-old Mary comes in and goes, oh, I just want to lose <laughs> five pounds. And you go, get in the score, bitch. We're getting you on stage. And it, it's, it's also <laughs> like that person... That same woman that wants to get to a size 12, if you float a size 8 in her, you may completely overwhelm her and scare off the process. It's just so Agreed. far out of a realm of possibility. So like going, yeah, cool, we'll get to size 12. Knowing full well she's because size 12, she want to get to size 10. Exactly. And you, you map out the journey to size 12. You don't, and this is something that people are doing, this is exactly to your point, is that they place their own goals onto their clients. Like I said, if they're obsessed with bodybuilding, they want to get everyone on stage. If they want a result for their Instagram feed, they're going to be like, Oh God, a few kilos more will look a little bit better in the transformation photo. And that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. And I've seen it happen a lot. And that's why obviously you, yeah, you take what the client says. And then you also say, Hey, actually in a dream scenario, what would you like? Cause I actually worked with a client who told me that a coach planted this number in her mind and she was just so proactively trying to work towards it. But at some point she was just like, my actions are speaking louder than my words. And I'm realizing that this isn't my goal. This is what was placed in my mind. And this wasn't done, I don't think, in a bad way from this coach. It was just, she might have asked the question, okay, what would I look like if I was really lean? And he was like, oh, it would be X amount of kilos. And then she just planted the seed. And then actually at one point she was actually like, no, this is taken away from the 15 kilos I've already dropped. And I'm just worrying and, you know, really, really concerned about these final two missing out all these 15 and then realizing that 15 was actually the goal and the extra two wasn't. So yeah, I think that's a really good point to land on. Um, and I quickly, we, I want to just... Um, yeah, I was saying, the other thing, if there's any coaches listening to this, is a skill you can learn is the art of like subtlety and subtext when it comes to communicating with your clients. Because in that example, for example, there's two reasons I want to bring this up. One is that priorities change. That girl might have said I wanted to get shredded on day one. And then she kind of like, you find that people get halfway and they go... I don't look bad anymore. I'm quite happy. And, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but I don't look terrible. And there's two things that happen here. Either that is generally their priorities in life have changed and you realise they're happy where they are and you've got to be able to understand that and make a, and be able to change the goal accordingly and support that and keep them there. But for other people, it's changing the way you motivate them to say, right, what, what motivated you to get this halfway? Whereas I look in the mirror every day and I hate what I see and every day I'm motivated by I want to be different. It's different when you go, ah, I look, I look fine. Yeah, cool. And, but that seems like hard work. And that's what it's like, look, you can get here, you know. And, and it's looking at the psyche and one of the things that I've learned, and this is more of an early on question at that point, but it's like when I explain someone's meal plan, when I explain any adjustments, when I explain any changes, I'll often ask, certainly one-to-one when I can face-to-face be with people and go, how does that sound to, to you? Does that sound like something you can do? And if I'm looking for a, yeah, that's easy. If I get anything, anything else, even if it's like, yeah, any hesitation, do you want me asking? What makes you hesitant? And because that, that, that question is so powerful because it allows me to go, like a meal, I'll use a meal plan. It's an easy example. Hey, so I've got to do a meal plan. Is this something you can do? Yeah. What does it make you hesitant? I'm not really sure about four meals. All right. How would three work? Oh yeah, that'd be good. How do you you feel like something you do now? Yeah, okay, what's what's the little hesitation there? I don't really like fish. Okay, what if I gave you chicken and a bit of extra avocado instead? Yeah, yeah that'd, be, that'd be really good. And then if I hadn't asked that question, I've now just given them something that they don't even feel they can do on day one. As they don't feel like they can do on day one, they're not going to stick to it. Same thing with that person that's halfway and feeling stuck. You know, it's, it's like, 
A, like I've noticed the last few weeks looking at the data that we've started to slow down a little bit. Like, what do you feel has caused this? And let them guide their path. I think a lot of trainers come into this as very drill sergeant, very dictator. You must do this. You must do that. And like, where it's like, again, Harry Potter, Dumbledore. You know, why do you think this? What do you think that you could do to, I'll step so low. What do you think you could do to get this? Oh, I think I can do this, this, and this. Okay, let's try that. See how we go. Or, yeah, that'll work, but I'll probably only get this halfway. Is it, could you also do this? Oh, yeah, I could do that. Or, you know, I, okay, we need to change the deficit. Do you want to move more or eat a little bit less? Like, that, that, that necessary of choice of bringing someone into the process makes a massive difference that you're not fighting each other. It makes, it makes our job nicer as well. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think it's all about showing them that there isn't just this one way that's kind of the traditional narrative has drilled into our thoughts and processes on dieting and training. And there's just so many ways. I, I actually say to people when I open up and we go away from meal plans, we go into a bit more flexibility. I'm like, to a degree, yes, there's obviously nuances to this point, but you can actually have anything. And I'm like speaking anything, but that might not make everything the right choice, you know? And I actually use a similar analogy to you two in terms of budgeting. Like the larger your budget, the more lavish you can be. The smaller your budget, you want to be more strategic and make your money go further. And that's the same way we want to look at dieting. So I completely agree, but it doesn't mean that anything is off limits. And like you said, if you can lean it more towards their preferences, there's almost, you run out of reasons to not do it. And then you're like, well, it's, it's too easy not to do. And that's best case scenario. 90% of our job is eliminating excuses. And for any potential clients listening to this, I'm going to say it again and remember this. 90% of your coach's job is eliminating excuses. Lack of belief destroys more goals than lack of knowledge ever will. So I, I think, you know, when it comes to food choices and what you're saying about buffering, I call it the Snickers bar analogy. Can you have a Snickers bar when you're dieting? Yeah. But where are your pros and cons? How many calories is that Snickers bar going to cost? Uh, it's going to be this much. Okay, cool. So to allow me to have this many calories... How many do I have to take away from elsewhere? Okay, what does my day look like if I take that away? Oh, okay. I'm going to have to be a bit hungry today or a bit hungry over the last next few days for a bigger meal. Okay, is that worth it? And you might go, yeah, I really want the second spot. Fine, enjoy the second spot. I hope you loved it. But if you go, do you know what? I just don't fancy being hungry the rest of the day. And it's now not a, my coach says I can't ask the Snickers bar. It's, I've weighed up the pros and cons like an adult and gone, actually, it's not worth it, or it was worth it. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And that's exactly, you know, we're on the same exact point there. I completely agree. And we're going to take a sharp turn now. Before, you, before, oh, you go before we do take that sharp turn. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, at no point do I, am I trying to say here that it always should be a bad thing to have the Snickers bar. Like sometimes the answer is yes, it was worth it, and yes, it was great. But as long as you own that decision and your expectations are met, that's it. Again, on that point as well, I just want to add to this is that you can make any decision you want as long as you're aware of the subsequent impact of that decision. Like if you're aware that eating the Snicker bar on top of your calories is going to maybe slow down your weight loss this week, fine. You know, by all means, if that makes you feel better and actually helps your longevity, go for it. But don't think that having that Snickers bar means nothing if you don't account for it in the rest of your calories, right? Exactly. And Nathan Johnson is, 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 is great at this with his clients, uh, the guy who runs autonomy. And he, he, he basically talks about allowing someone just to have a maintenance day. Like it's now not a connotation of, oh, I've got over my calories. It's like, hey, I've got to be my Would you rather have a maintenance day? And I love that because like, they know, they know it's a maintenance day. They know they're not losing it. 
and that's fine. No problem. Yeah, just about getting them to understand what the impact of their decisions will be. And sometimes that's the right choice, even if it means going a, technically going against the initial goal. And as mentioned, we're going to make that sharp, sharp turn now. And you and I had an Instagram exchange. You put up a poll on a transgender athlete who was competing in the women's category on weightlifting. And I don't think she'd actually competed yet. She was she qualified for the Olympics, right? But I don't no, think no. it actually had happened yet. So I want to get your thoughts on why you posted that. What is your thoughts on allowing transgender athletes to compete in their chosen gender categories, especially with the recent news of a transgender swimmer who has basically smashed all the records and is beating people by like not even just fractions of a seconds, which is typical in swimming, but like uh, like blowing them out of the park. It's a really murky territory. I sit very clearly on one side of the fence, by the way, but I can totally empathise with both sides of the fences. I, I I I can I cannot relate to somebody who doesn't feel comfortable in their own body and their own skin, and you can identify as anybody you want to be. No no judgment on my behalf. And I, it's a shame, in a way, that for her to compete in sport, there's going to be this alien. This should, it cannot be a category for these people or the trans athletes. But at the same time, you cannot justify them competing in female sport. Um, I don't, I'm not an MMA person to know the actual athletes, but I remember when they did this in an MMA promotion and the woman ended up absolutely de- getting demolished so- um, eye sockets because this former man who had much more power destroyed her in the first round. It's not only is, do, is the risk of certain combat sports being incredibly dangerous to have people who have a genetic advantage. I do, I do not care what a drug test says in terms of testosterone levels or whatever else. There, there are men more fast twitch fibers that are generally, generally more powerful. And I know more some women are way more powerful than I am, but like generally, are we looking at averages? They're going to be faster. They're going to be stronger. They're going to have an advantage. And the if you're looking, the argument often that's made to for these trans athletes is that it's equality. The back to the back to the James Bond debate, back to 2021 at its best. You can't call Mr. Potato Head a Mr. anymore for some reason, right? But it's, it's again, it's this equality argument. But I would argue this is more sexist because what does this do to every woman who has worked hard? eight, 10, 12, how many, these women train for years to be the best at their sport to get to the Olympic Games and they get to the Olympic Games and they haven't got a chance because there's an, there's a, there's an advantage that they just cannot possess. And but would you not say that that transgender person has worked just as hard to get to that place? Oh, uh, for 12 no, years? No, no question. No question. It doesn't change the fact that she has an unfair advantage. Like, she's, 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 she's he definitely no one gets to live who's not working hard absolutely nobody but and, and bear in mind my argument is slightly ruined by the fact that Lauren Hubbard didn't do well at the Olympics but I do I do I don't I don't know how much of that is generally that she doesn't have the potential to do well at the Olympics or the fact that the hate and the backlash got to her and I think some of it's justified in terms of the position of allowing trans women in sport to participate I don't think she personally should have got the, the backlash she got uh, which is a shame but I, 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 I think it's a, really, it's, a, it's a hard topic, but I think it's a very, very murky one if you want to create an environment where women in sport can excel. 
But would you not say by these transgender people uh, setting the bar higher, it will set a precedence for those women to, I know they're Olympians, so I'm not going to say they're not working hard, but shoot higher. You know, if you know that the new record is now, you know what happens when someone breaks records, more records get broken. So do you not think that it's actually setting a higher bar and we're actually going to see more elite scores, numbers, no. times? No, no, because it's, it's not, it's not Roger Bannister beating the four minute mile. It's like the, let me throw this back at you. Would you say that, steroids and sports should be allowed because someone that's taking steroids now allows a natural sprinter to have the opportunity to run faster. Yeah, this is a funny question you ask because this is actually my hypothesis and conclusion, which we'll get to shortly, but I want to continue pressing <laughs> you before we get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the same, it's the same, I'll take my thing for you, but it's the same argument, right? Like it's, it is a, it's a physically unfair advantage that no, like, yes, there'll be, there'll be, Talent, work ethic, all this comes in. There'll be trans athletes that come in. They're just not as good. Skillfully, not as good, not putting the work, and we'll get beaten by female athletes. Of course they will. But then there will eventually be one of two things that happen. A trans woman that has got the work ethic, that has got the genetics, putting aside the male genetics here, but just in terms of like being able to do the sport, has got the skill. We'll set the bar so high that it's so insurmountable for any other woman that she'll have a record that will last forever. Or in the same way that people that that drugs are commonplace in sports so people don't think they're in rugby they're absolutely mistaken um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't think they're anything they're pretty much in every sport uh, it's a controversial topic do you really want to see a drug free Olympics I mean we're so used to it longer bigger it's more it's a spectacle whether it should be the case you know I, I'm a very firm believer of I'm not an anti-steroid guy by any stretch of imagination in physique improvement you make your choice and you're not cheating at anything but as soon as you go and do something where you're physically cheating, then there is, there is a concern. But in the same way that someone abuses, uh, commonly abuses steroids to get a professional advantage, do you not think there are men out there that are, it's more important to be winning something and have sponsorships and fame than it is to identify as a particular gender and will say, I'm a woman, to allow them to be, have an unfair advantage and win things? And I, I'm, I'm not saying many people will all of a sudden change their whole gender identity in order to win, win a gold medal, but um, I, I think there certainly will be people that would do it. I could just say tomorrow, I, I identify as a microphone, right? Like, like, I, it there's no physicality that, that, that's determined that. That's a choice. And I think, I think there are people who will often abuse that choice to go ahead, which then not only makes a mockery of women in the sport, it then also makes a mockery of people who are actually trans people who have struggled with this the whole life and then you've got people just using it to get ahead which just pisses on everybody mm. i wonder who no i wonder what the opinion of someone who is transgender who's maybe not an athlete what their perspective of what this does for them as a community you know and in, in the way that they're able with the podcast like either on your show or mine yeah. i'd love i'd love to have that conversation yeah i'm intrigued because if i know that a lot of the time when specific, I don't want to call them minority groups because I don't, I think they're getting more and more people by the day, but specific minority groups are starting to thrive. They're starting to create a good reputation for themselves. And then something like this happens. I wonder what their perspective would be on because if they might think, okay, behind the scenes, we're doing all this good work and we, you know, we're integrating ourselves into communities and then someone's kind of, you know, stepping into such a public domain in a bit of a contentious way. And now we're getting the backlash of that. So I think that's an intriguing question. Um, but now we, we have, we spoke about 
obviously men who have become women. What about women who have become men? Because there are certain sports where maybe power and physicality isn't necessarily the thing yeah. that's going to have them winning at the end of the day. But we haven't seen much of that in the news or anything like that. Don't, I don't know if that even yeah. is a thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Because it's really, because we, we go, it's amazing how, I, I don't think I've ever done a podcast, certainly not been a guest on one. And maybe it's just me, the way I chat, where podcasts don't become go full circle. But it, it, it's, it's, it's weird that we spoke about earlier on about people, you have to go to the extreme to get them in the ground. So I don't know whether that doesn't happen or it's just not the stuff that reaches us on social media because no one cares about it as much because it isn't as much of an unfair advantage. And if, 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 it, if it does generally happen, I don't know. I don't know how different that is because it's in so many sports, not every sport, but in so many sports, it is a disadvantage. I'm trying to think of sports where it's generally an advantageous position. I was I trying to do know. the same. And, and, and don't don't say that as prejudice anyone. If there's women here that go, we're, we're better at this, and yeah, women are better than me in most sports. You know, like, fair enough. So I don't know. But if the, if there isn't, if this isn't a thing of women identifying as men and becoming into sports, if this isn't a thing, wouldn't that potentially suggest there are people abusing the system? I don't know. I, I'm totally speculating. I am. I'm far from an expert in this field, but ah, I don't. I don't. It's a really interesting topic. Um, certainly, as I say, it's it's an interesting topic in the sense of I I thought as I've explained, I fall very much in one camp. That being said, it's murky because it's not like any other equality debate because it's it's it's, it's like if people are generally struggling to identify or identify as someone that they're not genetically born as, it's a very difficult thing, and you should have the rights in some ways to do sport. I just don't know what the option is for them because there's certainly not enough trans athletes to make a category. Yeah, so. I'm going to give you my perspective that's not fully formed yet. I'm going to put this out there that it could be, yeah. yeah, it could be changed in the future. But I feel like when you decide to make a choice and I appreciate that it's very, and this is the thing, like what you just said there, it's like, this isn't against people being trans. Like, of course they can, but it's obviously then stepping into an Olympic sport. But I feel like when you make a choice, right, when you... Originally, this is even a better analogy because you don't make a choice. You don't make a choice to get older. But when you get older, you appreciate that you no longer compete in certain age categories. And no one is calling the ageist card and saying, why am I not allowed in the 21 to 35 category when I'm 60 years old? And you might say, oh, it's because they don't have the advantage anymore. But, you know, let's look at a sport like jiu-jitsu, for example. Let's say there was age categories, like a 45-year-old man is going to actually probably have, you know, jiu-jitsu is one of those sports where experience pays off a lot. So you actually might be much better than that 22-year-old kid. But you're not fighting to get back into a certain age group. And I also think that when you make the decision to take steroids, you kind of accept that I'm no longer going to be in natural categories. I'm not going to be, be competing in these natural competitions. You kind of know that you're opting out for certain things when you make certain decisions, some of which you might compare changing your gender to growing older because of those things you, you still do make a, you don't really make a choice to get older. That does happen. But some people might say, well, I was born as something I didn't want to. So it wasn't really my choice. It was what I was supposed to be. So I'm going to defend that side of things, but it is a choice you make. And I feel that no one's saying you can't compete in this sport, but at the highest level or with against people who are competing just as hard as you and working just as hard, it might just say that 
and this is a hard thing to say out loud, but that is no longer your, the category you can complete in anymore because you made a choice in a way to opt out. Just like as you grow older, you aren't making the choice, but you are opting out of a new age category. And I feel like with choices, you've kind of just got to accept that that changes your circumstance. And again, this is not a fully formed answer, but that's the best I could come up with. It's the same thing with weight categories, right? If you you would you wouldn't yeah. take a, you wouldn't take a lightweight MMA fighter and go ha throw you in there a Brock Lesnar because you identify as 120 kilos It'd be a murder. Okay, how good a lightweight? And that's you it. And and when you go above that weight category, you might go in the sauna, you might do a bunch of things. But if you can't get into that weight category, you accept those are the parameters of that sport. And by being heavier you've opted out of that weight category. And again, like again, it, now it comes into the whole is transgender a choice or are you born this way? And it's, you know, within you to change yourself because of you, you need to, and that's what you truly identify with. But I do feel that, you know, there are a lot of choices that we make and a lot of choices that we don't get to make. And that does exclude us from certain things. Well, it's not such an analogy, but a real world example of someone who, I don't think he did it right because they probably held back on who they were for a longer period of time. But Kendall Jenner, the Kendall Jenner, Kylie Jenner, they used to be the Olympian. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. No, I, no. I don't think it was Kendall or Kylie. I, I'm not sure which Jenner it was, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. Kylie, yeah, where, whatever, whatever the current Jenner is. Like he was a phenomenal. When he was he, was a phenomenal um, heptathlete. Heptathlete was he a pentathlete? But yeah, great athlete. And it was after his, his athletic career that he finally came out. Now as identifying as a woman. Now. You can make two arguments with this. Is this a guy who's had a, had a who literally said I wanted to be the best athlete in the world, and I realised that I needed to in order to compete with the men, I need to stay a man for now, or is this someone that was going through incredible turmoil that maybe should have been in a in a world like today where he could have expressed who he was a lot sooner? I suppose only he can answer that. Whether him staying as a man or competing was worth it, or would he rather? Have come out as you know identified as a woman earlier only 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 she can answer that now should i say but you know that could be your approach if you generally want to be the best in the world and that's the most important to you maybe that's you when you when you retire you you make you you make your choice and live your true self it's a horrible thing because she shouldn't have to but there's an advantage here and as soon as you start going through hormone replacement therapy you you sort of make yourself a disadvantage in a male category and advantage in a female category <laughs> you in your own thing in itself it's 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 hard really hard it is a hard one and i would almost say and again this is speaking out of terms i've not been in that position but i almost feel like being yourself and being who you truly want to be probably comes above any sporting achievement you could have in your life so if that is required and you have to opt out on your chosen sport to be who you are is it's not a trade-off that I think should have to be made, but if it is, I think the payoff of being who you are is going to outweigh even an Olympic gold medal. That's a big I, statement. I so <laughs> I can't say this for certain because I've never been in that circumstance. I can only, okay, I cannot relate to someone who is, but I think in that circumstance, I would opt out and be myself. I need to a much smaller degree being made to feel ashamed of who I am and the weight that places on you. And now I can't imagine how that must feel if your whole identity is not who you feel you are. And like, you know, I, 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 I've not had anywhere near that level of pressure and, and feeling. So I think I, I, I would. Yeah. And it's not opting out of the sport either. It's just opting out of competing at the highest level, which again is another, is it less of a, 
duty to pay? I think so, because you still can do it. So there's no one saying you can't play that sport anymore. And it might be that in the lower levels of that sport or a more regional level, you can. But when it comes to Olympics, then maybe you know, because it's, uh, it's something where you, you achieve money and it's all this type of things. Maybe, maybe that's where the things change a little bit, but thank you for entertaining this question, dude, because it's not an easy one whatsoever. So I want to transition onto my last couple. And this is, uh, again, taking a sharp turn. What impact do you want to have on the fitness industry? That's a really good question. I think that's one of the things that's ever evolving. Like I've done a lot of personal growth in the last year. I've started to become more who I am in a lot of ways. And probably it spawned on this, this, this thing of wanting to be help men become better and more confident versions themselves because I, I feel like I've gone on an emotional roller coaster in the last twelve months. So the impact of what I have in the industry, I, 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 I certainly want. I don't know exact impact yet, but I certainly want to make it as a business. I want May Coaching to make an impact on on helping as many men as possible look and feel at their best, and that's that will go into looking at things like hormonal protection, testosterone, health, physique, confidence. And then from a, an education and coach perspective is to, is to try and shortcut and limit the overwhelm of as many coaches as possible. That means that I could, we can help more people as a brand. You help, you, you, as a coach, you help what? On, in person, 10 clients at a time. Online, maybe 100 clients at a time. You help 10 coaches with 10 clients. That's 100 people on the gym floor. You help 10 coaches with online clients, 1,000 people on the gym floor, uh, you know, online. So it, it's an extension of that. Can we put people into a position, you know, can we create a world where people can find that balance between getting what they want from a physique standpoint, but manage to create the habits and the lifestyle that makes them keep weight off long term? Not just men, but obviously men's just a little bit more my ammo because I just it focuses my content. But like in general, it's like, can we create the the habits and the confidence that you know really do make people keep the results because i do i was thinking about this recently and this is maybe another talk from the podcast but i was looking at my reverse diet and i looked at it and i go i wonder how yes there is a down regulation stuff when you diet we might talk about this tomorrow with our mental and physical approach to dieting sort of thing in a bit more detail but i wonder how much it actually needs to be back slow and steady or is it just the art of keeping structure that allows people to keep weight off. And it doesn't actually really matter whether they've added 500 calories or 1,000 calories, as long as they're not over maintenance calories. But often if you say, let's go to maintenance calories tomorrow, then many people will let the floodgates open. There's a reason why Eric Helms talks about going straight to maintenance because his people are competitors who will keep structure at maintenance calories where you're a busy office worker, finish the diet, you go, here's an extra 1,000 calories. Well, all right, donuts. <laughs> No, that's a bit of a tangent, but I think it's like allowing people to build themselves inside and out to allow them to get weight off and then keep weight off. That's really nice. Very, I didn't really answer your question there, did I? I think you, I think you touched on it in many different ways. I think we are, we, we got a general gist of your purpose there. And uh, I think you'll make that impact it. And uh, my final question for you is where can people find you and dive into more of your world? Uh, the easiest way is Instagram at Kingsley Dutton, K-I-N-G-S-L-E-Y. That is my middle name, not my first name. Everyone confuses it or thinks it's a double barrel. At Kingsley Dutton on Instagram, that is where I post nice of my stuff. I'm very, very active on there. Shoot me a DM. I'm, 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 I'm not scary. I promise I will reply. My podcast, the Self-Made Podcast, is my absolute pride and joy. That's on anywhere you get your podcast streams. Um, this guy will be on there tomorrow and probably come out in a couple of weeks' time. And then if you're looking at working with me and want to see a little bit more about what I do, www.maycoaching.com. 
that is, that is my website. That's, that's basically me. Thank you so much, Simon Dutton, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure as mine, mate. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.